right, Chris, since I am in fact editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, I am tasked with developing a new status quo for a character. <sighs> I wish it was the 90s. Then they just rolled dice for a new status quo. Wait, rolled dice? Are you just using a turn of phrase? Absolutely not! It was a well-kept secret that new status quos were made using a bunch of D&D-style charts. Do you have these charts? I mean, what kind of editor-in-chief do you think I am? Of course I have the charts! Can we try one out? Let's say, for the flash? Sure. Roll three dice. Here. Now you match up the numbers you get with the spots on the chart. Okay, I have a one, a four, and a six. So... Flash is a space trucker with the day job of taxidermist, and he has a talking weasel pet. Wow, that is kind of out there. Instant hit, I guarantee it. I am skeptical, but let's try another one. Okay, uh, maybe Batman. Roll him up. You have two, three, and three. All right, Batman is a robotic gladiator with the day job of donut baker, and he has a distinct obsession with croquet. That's even better than The Flash. I really don't think so. Let's try Iron Man real quick. Okay, Iron Man is... Possessed by the spirit of a 13th century monk with the day job of bowling pro. And he has a uncontrollable urge to make elaborate baked goods. Oh my god. We did it. I can't believe I didn't see it until now. That's an instant hit. We need to sketch this out. We got to talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first episode of War of the Gods. And thanks to a lot of good research uh, and de-stressing, not the last episode of this podcast. <laughs> yes, readers, if I'm going to be very honest with you, Chris did a lot of great work prepping for this episode, whereas me, the first time I read the first part of War of the Gods, I wasn't sure what I read. And I don't mean that in, like, the plot was a little bit confusing, which it was. I just literally, like, went in one eye out the other. Like, yep. I wasn't sure what I read. It just went in your eyes and then just, like, gooped out your nose. Uh-huh. It was... You know, and that happened to me a little bit with the last crossover, too. I might, like, the second read-through, though, I was like, oh, story, I get it, I'm understanding. But the first time I read through this, I think Chris thought we were done for, that I would <laughs> never read another crossover again. I just 
kept ranting and raving about how nothing made any sense. Yep. That did definitely happen. Now, it probably is not helped by the fact that we are, we're pretty busy, and I try to do some, like, comic reading while the kids are awake and things, and these issues are so long. So I'd get through, like, five pages, and then I'd have to stop. And, you know, I forgot everything I read in those five pages. When I picked back up, I, you know, read another two here or there. By the end, I had no idea. No idea what was going on. Yeah, when we picked this, I was like, oh, cool, a nice four issue be super simple but every one of these issues is 40 pages and it's george perez 40 pages right which basically means it's like 80 pages right um so the the little background on this this was supposed to be the big culmination of george perez's like 40 50 something issue wonder woman run and it ended up with quite a bit of problems which we will kind of outline in the summary but editorially he wasn't allowed to use certain characters at certain times because another crossover was happening at the same time, an event called Armageddon 2001. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it was only a two-issue event. Yeah, Armageddon 2001 was like two issues in times. <laughs> but it was uh, kind of unfortunate. He was also penciling for Infinity War, at the, or Infinity Gauntlet at the time. Like the Marvel crossover event that we have not covered, but is the basis for the Infinity War movie, mm-hmm. to some extent. Yeah, I noticed, I I almost wondered if he would have preferred to have done all of the art himself, because he had other, the, the finished art is credited to somebody else, but mm-hmm. he did Cynthia the... Cynthia Martin. So yeah, it was finished by Cynthia Martin, and you wonder if he had bigger plans for it? I mean, he he definitely took on the Infinity Gauntlet gig and was apparently pretty excited about it. He couldn't in- finish Infinity Gauntlet, though, because of other commitments. So he maybe just bit off more than he could chew in general. Mm-hmm. But I guess, from what I understand, George Perez was kind of frustrated with how this event went, which um, I am, too. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys already know that, that I was. I'm not, you know, haven't even finished reading the whole thing yet. Two, two issues in, and I'm like, yep. Mm, we've got some irreconcilable differences, but I'm going to see how this pl- pans out. Right. Well, let's go through a fairly lengthy summary. Summary. War of the Gods, Issue 1. Written by George Perez. Penciled by George Perez and Cynthia Martin. Inked by Cynthia Martin. Colored by Jean D'Angelo, lettered by Albert de Guzman, edited by Karen Berger and Tom Payer. We are introduced to the sorceress Circe, who has convinced Mikos, a bird shapeshifter, as well as the Thymoscarans of Bonamigdal, to help her evil plans. They are joined by Dr. Conrad Kazlak, who has assisted her in stealing various relics from museums for nefarious purposes. Harmonia, goddess of peace, is summoned by the fates to show her the coming perils of Earth. She then races to Areopagus, the hill of Ares, to speak with her now-banished father. In his place, however, she finds her sister Iris, the goddess of fear, who taunts her about meeting with fate. Sounds jelly to me. Harmonia leaves, but not before we get a glimpse that Iris might be in cahoots with Circe. 
Harmonia later attempts to approach Olympus via the land of Hades and is thus being ferried across the Styx by Charon. However, she finds that Hades is in fact not Hades and is struck from behind by the imposter Charon to be unceremoniously dumped into the river, all of which is watched over by the strange child known as Clarion the Witch Boy. Phobos, the god of fear, sits in wait in an arctic environment for an alien superhero. Who could that be? Ronnie Raymond, you know, Firestorm, is called by the elemental version of himself to assist with the coming crisis. The elemental Firestorm is a friend to the Yoruba gods. On Thymascara, the Amazons are arguing about what to do after the island revealed itself to Patriarch's world, the world of man. See, their first foray into the world of Patriarch left them with a dead friend, Helene, and a missing leader, Wonder Woman's mother, Hippolyta. Some of the Amazons blame Wonder Woman, who starts to make her case before being interrupted by the oracle Menelipe, who states that the gods are coming. Lo and behold, the gods show up in the form of Hermes and Heracles. They summon Wonder Woman to New Olympus as they are in dire need of her help. See, while New Olympus was supposed to be great, it is being corrupted from within. Zeus needed to use all of his energy to summon Hermes, which seems silly. And the father of the gods is now in a coma being watched over by our old friend Pariah? That can't be good. Also, the child of Titans, at least at this point in continuity, Donna Troy has arrived unexpectedly in New Olympus as well, paralyzed by that same corrupting energy. Yikes! At this point, several superheroes get a strange feeling as Cersei begins to cast a spell in her domain. While floating through the river Styx, Harmonia meets and is rescued by the son of Vulcan, who is discarded by his gods for not being a good little mortal vessel. Back on Olympus, the Greek gods are suddenly assailed by the Roman gods. That's right, everyone gets an evil twin, except for Wonder Woman. Her counterpart, human champion, is a little boy. Well, Billy Batson, who is under sway by the Roman gods and becomes Captain Marvel. Turns out this is also Cersei's doing, and they all fight as Cersei's spell is finished casting a huge web of energy over the world called the Hellfire Web. This is all pretty devastating, and we see vignettes of Dr. Fate, Captain Adam, Ice, or at least her home, Superman, and Geoforce all trying to cope with the change. Dr. Kaslak, who clearly has ulterior motives, is accosted by an Amazon, Pythia, who is looking for her spiritual daughter, Julia Capitellis. This is kind of a long story. Poor Donna Troy is still in quite a lot of pain as the gods fight, and the son of Vulcan enters the scene, tearing a hole in Olympus to throw Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel through to escape the fury of the gods. Meanwhile, in space, Telepath, a member of Legion and friend to Lobo, feels the psychic feedback of the battle, while on Apocalypse, Darkseid is ready to snatch Earth away once the smoke of the battle clears. While in The Void, I guess, Wonder Woman battles Captain Marvel, and they meet the also-struggling Hermes and Mercury. Mercury tries to command Captain Marvel, but Wonder Woman's lasso seems to mess with the poor hero, and Captain Marvel is yanked out of the strange void to land in the same bar Telepath and Lobo are drinking at. In Atlantis, Aquaman hears from Poseidon that foul deeds are afoot, while the Justice League is getting calls from all over the place that stuff is going pretty wrong. 
And finally, in Antarctica, Cave Carson and his friend Calvin barely see the image of Pariah before a massive creature rips free of the ice to head to parts unknown. War of the Gods, Issue 2 Written by George Perez Penciled by George Perez and Cynthia Martin Inked by Cynthia Martin, Russell Braun, and Romeo Tanghall Colored by Jean D'Angelo Lettered by Albert de Guzman and edited by Karen Berger, Bob Cahan, and Tom Payer. The gods continue to battle, specifically the son of Vulcan battling Hercules, angry at those rascally Roman gods for corrupting little Billy Batson. Jupiter and Zeus also clash, and Zeus is getting absolutely whooped. While that son of Vulcan and Hercules fight, however, a bolt of lightning seems to hit the Roman demigod, which causes him to disappear. Meanwhile, a similar bolt hits Black Adam back on Earth. Hmm... Later on, another mysterious bolt hits Zeus, which zaps into the Metal Man gold back on Earth. Hmm, indeed! Then, not to be outdone, the son of Vulcan apologizes to the agonized Donna Troy before zapping his own self with lightning. We don't even know. The Earth, Mother Gaia, is not doing well as a result. Thymascara is also earthquaking, as Heracles is holding up the foundations of the island, due to either a trick or just an odd circumstance in a tie-in, in which he again trades places with Atlas, although the Roman one. The Flash, Wally West, chats up Hermes, who had to steal his power for a little while in a tie-in. Hermes saw Donna Troy in agony in a vision, and the Flash races off to find her. The Egyptian gods appear in Iraq and reveal themselves to the former Dr. Fate, where they say they gave his Dr. Fate powers to his wife instead because she would be easier to beat? Sexist much? Firehawk, remember her from Crisis? Goes to find Firestorm during all the terrible natural disasters happening during Godfight 1991. Firestorm right now isn't really Ronnie Raymond, though, and instead kind of a cosmic being, but they're off to help the Orishas, elemental gods of Nigeria, back to their senses after this generalized god madness. They come to the city Harar, which is really not close to Nigeria, and confront the Orisha known as Shango. Shango is conjuring a dangerous storm and is trying to unleash darkness, which seems to cause some shadowy demons to attack our heroes. Firestorm enters the darkness to find both a strange dark version of Captain Adam, as well as his own evil twin Shadowstorm. Shango realizes he has been deceived as Firestorm and Shadowstorm fight. However, Shango and Shadowstorm disappear as quickly as they appeared. Atlantis is being invaded by the Babylonian god Kingu, who brings with him the dragon Tiamat on his search for yet another cool tablet. Poor Aquaman's got a fight on his hands as Kingu tries to catch him all. Supergirl, who at this point is a descendant of the ancient Atlantean Arion, arrives to help beat up Tiamat. They succeed in fighting off the deities, who seem to come a little bit to their senses as they race off. Superman is flying around the Antarctic trying to figure things out when he comes upon our old friend Pariah. Superman, however, seems to have figured out that Pariah saw the death of Krypton, and this makes him uncharacteristically mad. Well, we have Phobos to blame for engaging Superman, but Starman gains the upper hand only to have Phobos unleash Starman's fear of dissociation from humanity. Superman also busts free from Phobos' control because he's just too much of a good boy and confronts the god who jumps off a cliff and disappears. 
Wonder Woman chats with Batman and Robin, giving them info she obtained from her pal Inspector Indelicato about the location of a Thymoscarin goblet that will both help her find her mom and exonerate the Amazons from any sort of wrongdoing regarding this whole mess. She later shows up with Geoforce at the castle of Dr. Fate in venerable Massachusetts to do a ritual with all the magic users of D.C., they try to use Geoforce's connection with the Earth to heal Mother Gaia from the Hellfire Web. Cersei somehow planned for all this, but didn't plan enough as the spell seems to overwhelm her and make a temporary shield around the planet. Wonder Woman has no time, though, and heads off to find Hermes for some answers. Don't worry, we're a little bit confused, too. Ice returns back home to Norway to her hidden city, Yep, none of this is facetious, where it appears Norse gods have turned her entire village into trees. Her partner, Fire, arrives to assist as Loki tries to contact the evil giant Surtur to help them. Too bad for Loki, the JSA is fighting Surtur in the afterlife, apparently for all eternity. Loki and Thor defeat Fire and Ice, and we end on a cliffhanger of their possible impending death. It ends up being a bit anticlimactic as we then cut to ice, fire, and ice's entire village being okay after the Norse gods suddenly departed. Back in Ares' castle, he watches as Phobos basically breaks the word of Ares, and Ares reveals herself as a traitor as Mars attacks. The god, that is. Superhero novice Silver Swan shows up to help Firestorm after being turned down for some mentoring by Wonder Woman in a tie-in. Firehawk decides to go with her to the Institute for Metahuman Studies for some learning, which just so happens to be the current home of the Suicide Squad, where Bronze Tiger is being watched by Black Adam? Readers, I don't think we've had a summary that long. Ever. <laughs> Probably not, and I tried to make it very succinct. <laughs> you did an excellent job. Chris Chris did an amazing job putting together that summary because he took we'd have like a page of someone's story and then like five pages later, like they'd pop back in for a bit and then, you know, maybe five pages later their story kind of wraps up. Chris did a beautiful job of putting all of that together for you so we didn't hop between twenty different locales in forty five seconds. Yeah, I thought that would be nice. <laughs> Well, anyway, Christy, did you like War of the Gods? Uh, you know, when I finally got it all, I could understand the story and what it was trying to do a little bit and appreciate appreciate the effort. But I would never, ever have read this just for fun. It is a bit of a mess. It is difficult. It's somewhat impenetrable. It relies upon you to have read basically every issue of the tie-ins for a full understanding, as well as like the previous 40 issues of Wonder Woman or however many. Mm -hmm. And there's still like a lack of clear motivations to me. Like Cersei casts her spell. Why? Because she wants to get all the magic. She wants all that power. Who knows why she has to blow up the earth to do it, but that seems to be the case. Because this, like, threatens all of Mother Gaia. I just did a very, our, our toddler hand raise. Right, right. But it seems like her actual plan for getting all of the power was in response to 
Wonder Woman and Geoforce and all the magic users spell like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cause some big problems, and then they're gonna have to do this spell, and then that just means I can siphon off of their power and become more but it, powerful. But it ends up not working. Well, yeah, because she's betrayed. Yep, because so she, yeah, she Cersei's got like a whole crew. There's some boys who turn into animals. Is uh, that what they do? They are. They're little animal shifters. Oh, Mikos turns into a bird. Yes, I, th- I think I got that bit. <laughs> He's like David Bowie. David <laughs> Bowie turned into a bird? <laughs> In a cartoon. Oh, missed that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm really laughing at my own joke here. <laughs> she also has Dr. Kaz... I keep messing his name up. Kaz- Conrad Kazlak. Kazlak, who basically just like used evil museum powers... Where he's like, I just had this stuff laying around or whatever. Right. Like, I help, he helped gather all the relics. Uh, right. Pre-crisis, that Conrad Kazlak was like a sorcerer himself. They're like, we need to make this man very serious. Right. <laughs> he can only hang out with sorcerers. <laughs> I mean, but it seems like he's got some motives to somehow get some sort of power for himself. Well, he takes some of the, the stuff. He takes, yeah, at least one of the relics, which is why Cersei's... Second Which, spell doesn't work. I, I'm wondering, did it need to be like charged with her energy or something? Because I don't know why he didn't just take them to begin with. But maybe it's not just those. Maybe it was something that she did to them, and then he had to take them. I don't, well, hopefully, we'll figure out his motivation. Right? There's a really, right now. It's not clear. I love this dude though, because there's a scene where Cersei's casting her spell, and then there's like a very George Perezzi three panels uh-huh. of his face, and he's like, <laughs> gets a big grin on his face. He's like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, first he's kind of like, oh, and then he's like, oh, and then he's like, oh. <laughs> kind of. It's pretty goofy. Um, I was thrilled to learn that for the most part, if you just want to know the War of the God stuff, the Wonder Woman Amazon stuff is not as important. Because going into it, not having read these previous issues, like I was just looking at all these Amazon's names and it's just all these all these like statuesque women and I'm like, I'm going to confuse all these, all these ladies real quick. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of them and they're, I think pithy is kind of the most important for this story. Okay. The one who had to go rescue Julia Capitalis. Yeah. But then, then that kind of gets resolved more in tie-ins as well. Where Julia Capitalis, not covered in this, had been kidnapped by Cersei and Pythia stole Hermes's shoes and flew off with them. That was kind of funny because she wasn't very good at flying. So it was more like she was upside down for a decent part of it. Which is always how I imagine Hermes shoes working. Right. <laughs> and then if she... you weren't good at them, you'd just be dangling by some shoes. And then she goes and fights some of the Amazons of Bana Migdal, which, by the way, oh, hmm. uh, the coloring in this mm. is very old school and that people who should be like a brown tone are like a weird gray. It's real bad. And the Amazons of Bana Migdal are from like the like the Mediterranean desert or like the Middle Eastern desert. And so they are all like darker skinned. And they're the evil ones. And we don't yeah. have any Amazons from Thymascara who seem to be, like, they, like it's very much like the white ones are the good ones and the brown ones are the evil ones. And I'm not sure that was fully the intent, but it does not look great. 
No, it looks pretty, pretty bad. Right. And they're basically non-characters. Cersei kills Plus one of them early on. Their costuming is it's a little, I don't know. It it just seems very kind of kind of barbaric, and like you know the other Thymascarans, they they get some drapey, flowy garments, and the the Bonham McDowell, they get like really long beaded necklaces that just happen to cover the right bits. Well, they are they are not the hugest of import, right? To the and they story. don't actually really seem to be. Uh, seem to like Cersei too much. They're just much. working with her, I think, because they do not like the Thymascarans. Mm-hmm. They, they had a schism, you know, at some point. But that's that's generally Cersei's crew. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we let's we should real quickly explain why, why Pythia is even looking for Julia Capitellus. Julia Capitellus oh, yeah. is kind of her daughter, but mm-hmm. in this weird way where, like, when babies got thrown off boats by Thymascara... Took them in and raised yeah, them. Yeah, like, I'm trying to remember which goddess, but a goddess would, would come, grab them, and they would be, like, blessed by the Thymascarians, and then brought back to the exact point where they fell and, like, given back. And then when they were, like, raised, they were, like, better people or something. And Pythia was, was Julia Capitellus's mom, even though Pythia's, like, a 24-year-old looking woman, and Julia Capitellus is, like, probably, like, you know, 40 years You like, a normal yeah. human. <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's that's kind of their whole deal. It is somewhat secondary to the 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 god plot. Yeah, yeah, and it was a it was a whole whole lot in those Wonder Woman tie-ins. Right, the bits with the uh, Steve was it Steve Trevor that she was and Etta Candy who are the <sighs> like just getting like chewed out for two issues by the government about. Steve Trevor's mustache was pretty good, though. It's very good because the, the there was an, an like an international incident with the Amazons, and the government kind of like wants them to pay, right? But it it wasn't actually the the Thymascarans; it was the uh, Bonamigdal set it, framing them. Yes. Uh, well, it's uh, that, yeah. that yeah that's definitely like hey, continuing this Wonder Woman plot, right? Right. That. This whole crossover seems to come from a place of, like, one, wanting to be this grand finale to Wonder Woman, but two, also really wants you to buy lots more comics, all the tie-ins and everything, but not in a way that benefits it being a story that can stand on its own. Mm -hmm. It's definitely at the detriment to good storytelling. It's a very early crossover. They even, everything was part X of like 30. And so like, you'd feel like you're missing something because you didn't grab Suicide Squad before grabbing the next War of the Gods. But like, in general, you're just missing a part of it. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly in War of the Gods, it kind of assumes that you read it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I'm very glad is something that doesn't seem to be super necessary to events now. They have learned from 20-something years. Right. 28 years of, of doing these big events, I think, what people like and what people don't like. To to clarify for everybody, we are only reading the War of the Gods issues, and we also secondarily read the Wonder Woman issues because it's just in, like, one... It's, like, in one trade paperback. Mm-hmm. We are reading the digital version, but... 
uh, we are not picking up the the other ones because that's so many comics. Oh my gosh! Just reading the two main issues is an undertaking, right? And you know what? Instead of slugging through them, you can just listen to us and feel like you've read it yourself, except be happy at the end. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is not to say there are things I did not that I didn't like. I like there's things I liked about this comic and things that I found funny enough to really want to talk to you about. Oh yeah, yeah. I really liked when we first when Wonder Woman is kind of in the middle of an argument between we need to fight man's world and no, we need we can't fight man's world. They can they can beat us easily. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the gods just show up and they're like, "Hey, Wonder Woman, we need you for something. Let's go to New Olympus." The shot of the double page spread of her going to New Olympus and talking about it being weird and psychedelic. Was I've super already cool. mentioned this to you, but I am shocked with George Perez. We do not have more two page spreads. That was the only one in these two issues. Maybe more is to come, but yeah, that was that was the only one we I, got. I just expected more, more of that. Right. Uh, um, but it, it that was that was an awesome page. Yes, fun. And I was excited to see our old pal Pariah again. Even yeah. though I don't like Pariah as a character particularly because he's just kind of a sad sack. But I'm like, oh, there he is. I mean, after reading Crisis, I thought, yeah, I'm probably never going to see this guy again. But now I, he's back. I thought he was just going to be happy. No. Yeah, Post-Crisis, he still has to look at sad things. <laughs> like, he's disappointed when Superman decides not to kill him. He was like, oh, man, I was really hoping Superman was going to be able to just but murder he, me. Yeah. He's like, maybe this time. <laughs> Poor Pariah. But yeah, he's like hovering there looking at Zeus after Zeus uses all of his power to talk to Hermes. That seems like maybe Zeus, like, I don't know, did he not well, uh, pay up on his phone bill or something? <laughs> like, I have to use all of my godly might. You to... couldn't call collect? <laughs> I'm just imagining... Hermes just picks up like a, a randomly ringing payphone, and you have a collect call from. This is Zeus. New Olympus is in trouble. Come back. <laughs> Do you accept the charges? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you don't need to accept the charges. You got the whole message in the spot for the name. That's true. That's how you do it. That that's how we did it old school. That is how we did it. Uh, children <laughs> who are listening to this podcast used to have to pay for long distance calls from pay funds and you could call collect, which means that they would have to pay for it. Whoever called mm-hmm. when you needed your mom to pick you up from the mall, <laughs> you just picked up the pay phone and, and called. And when mom got that, that collect call, just s- saying, Hey mom, pick me up. Mom knew yep. it was time to go to the mall. And that's how you abuse that system. <laughs> But it's explained that, like, Olympus has been blocked off from everything. They don't know what's going on in the real world. They couldn't contact anybody. And Hermes was in the real world. Right. Or I say real world. Was was on Earth. Yeah. And so Zeus had to use all of his power to get through whatever barrier it is that <laughs> presumably Cersei's put in place. I just imagine him focusing the, all of the totality of his godhood to just shoot out new phone who dis. <laughs> <laughs> New Olympus, who dis? <laughs> well, anyway, this is um, basically at the time where Cersei casts her spell and the Roman gods show up and are like, what's up? We're the real gods. But we've gotten these little hints throughout because there's Roman versions of people who keep showing up, like Sharon, the, who is taking Harmonia to go to Olympus through the underworld 
is not the right share on. And she only realizes it when she looks at, Pluto, who is pretending to be Hades, is like, you're not the real Hades, and then Sharon dumps her in a river. Mm-hmm. But then uh, we even when the gods show up, Persephone accidentally let them in right. because she didn't recognize the- her husband. <laughs> it, he wasn't her they husband. don't even look that much alike. <laughs> Although I liked that Jupiter looked like the player two version of Zeus, like his beard was just darker rather than. <laughs> Okay, Clarion the witch boy. Yeah. Just gets like half a page, or maybe it was a full page. Yeah, he's hanging out with his cat in hell, you know, as one does. (laughs) Well, in the underworld. (laughs) And he hasn't shown up since. (laughs) I don't even think he was in that scene where they cast the spell. Right? (laughs) So it definitely reminds me a little bit of Crisis, in that they're just trying to get as many characters in there as... Oh yeah, you this can. is the crisis school of crossovering. Crossovering. Except in crisis, you could kind of get it was like a poetic. We want all these characters to have their one last appearance before we kill them off. Yeah, and then they were like, "Wow, this was a formula that seemed to work out for us. We better <laughs> keep going." Um, some other things in the first issue I liked. I love Cave Carson because he is the most useless individual in these entire things. He's I hanging. Didn't understand why? He's got to take seismic readings. <laughs> he's just like these readings are off the chart, and Superman's just like punching a god, and he's like, "This is wild." It's... <laughs> like I, I my... and he does get to observe when things get back to normal. I guess. Yeah, he gets to tell us, even though there's like 50 <laughs> other ways we know. He gets to give us the data. I guess as a scientist, I appreciate that he's actually taken some numbers down. Um, my fan theory, no, having only read Cave Carson in Crisis and this, is that Cave Carson somehow doesn't actually know superheroes exist. <laughs> <laughs> and he just thinks all this stuff happens. And he's trying to write these papers on everything. And he's like, why is all this happening? <laughs> Because I don't think you we see him actually talk to any superheroes. Does he see? Maybe. He's oh, looking yeah. at those instruments an awful lot. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> I'm like, I made it good funny. Well, poor Superman even is relegated to being slightly mind-controlled a little bit. But he's looking for the Eradicator, who is like a Kryptonian robot who is kind of hassling him at this time. He basically looked like Superman, but with super cool shades. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the Eradicator. He's just kind of an excuse for him to be here. I loved Phobos setting up shop and just the dialogue of like... What was it like? This is this is where you know that alien comes for solitude. Which I feel like at one, maybe at this point this was normal. I don't know if this was a mistake or not. But I thought the Fortress of Solitude was in the Arctic, and he was hanging out in the Antarctic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. But I wonder if maybe post crisis it is an- Antarctic rather than Arctic. But what if what if Phobos had had just uh, like misread? <laughs> he was hanging out in the wrong spot. <laughs> he sits out the whole crossover. 
Um, uh-huh. It might be important to mention Ares has this non-aggression, or he he cannot interfere with mortal affairs anymore because he was a real bad guy through a lot of that Wonder Woman run, and the gods punished him. But he's lawful evil. So he's like, no, I cannot interfere. So when his kids do it, he's very mad at them. You broke my oath. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm trying to think of some other really important characters. There's the son of Vulcan who is not in a ton of DC stuff, but I guess they decided to bring in here because they're like, well, he's the son of Vulcan. We mm-hmm. got to bring in a guy literally called the son of Vulcan <laughs> uh, since Vulcan's a character. And he was supposed to be the mortal instrument of the Roman gods, and he refused. So they dumped him in the River Styx, and they kidnapped Billy Batson. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he winds up with Harmonia down yeah, there for a little bit before you know joining the battle in Olympus, and seeming to have be the only one with his stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. How do? I don't know. Because at the end of you know at the end of issue two, he decides like, well, I'm out. <laughs> and just right. Disappears. <laughs> After everybody else lightning bolts away, he lightning bolts his own self away. He's just whoosh. Oh. Oh. Christy. Yes. There is a there's a lot of fighting in this these two issues. Oh, there there is, and you know what I think that means. Is it time to enter the war zone? It's going to be an amazing show tonight, folks. We have a double main event as Jupiter takes on Zeus for the big title while Hercules faces the son of Vulcan for the mid-belt. It's going to be a big fight, folks, but we have plenty of bouts to whet your appetite beforehand. By God, we're starting things off with that tough-as-nail stable, the Egyptian gods. I love these guys. They've shown up backstage to trash the former Dr. Fate. As we know, Christy... He lost his title last week and the gods gave it to his wife. Because they know they can beat her. Those despicable gods. Next, we have a two-on-one matches. Firehawk and the newly minted Cosmic Firestorm take on Shango or the Orishas, a friend turned foe. They're getting wrecked out there. Shango's called in his boys, Shadow Creatures. Yeah, they're really taking it to Team Fire. That's just good sense, even those odds. Wait a second. Firestorm has entered the thick of it. What's this? That's Captain Adam's evil doppelganger and Shadowstorm. It looks like evil Adam is headed backstage when Shadowstorm is taking it to Firestorm. Somebody stop the dang match. This is pandemonium. Well, our next match is a tablet of destiny on a pole match as the Babylonian god Kingu takes on Aquaman. This one is no DQ, folks. Not a single hold is gonna be barred. Aquaman seems to have this well in hand. The sea is his domain, Christy. Ha! You see that, Chris? That's Tiamat coming from under the ring. What a great strategy. That... that's not fair. Wait, you hear that? That's Power Girl's music. Here she comes with a steel chair. She's chased off Tiamat. Oh, and here comes Aquaman. Big hit. He's climbing up. He's got the tablet. He's got the tablet. It's all over. What a shame. Next, we go backstage as Superman is interviewing Pariah. But whose side is he on? Oh, no. Superman has taken it to Pariah? What's going on here? I can't believe it. Wait, is that Phobos back there? He must be controlling Superman. Wait, it's Starman! He's clobbering Phobos! Oh no! Oh man! Phobos has got him too! Superman stopped! He's turning toward Phobos! Now they're taking it to Phobos! Serves him right! 
Next match is Ice and Fire versus Thor and Loki for the return of Ice Village to normal. Good start from the elemental duo, but they're still trying to work as a team. Loki's summoning Searcher. No way, this match is over. But where is he? Oh, wait. We go backstage. Cerner is getting wrecked by the JSA. Good golly, that evil fire creature has a family. The gods have fled. The heroes win by countout. Now for mid-belt, we have Hercules versus the son of Vulcan. This ought to be a real bout here, folks. Good grappling work from the Mediterranean muscle men. Wait, what's that lightning? Hercules is gone. What a strange development as we head into our final match. Jupiter versus Zeus, winner take all! I got Jupiter on this one. Younger and far more powerful with something to prove. But Zeus has been around the block a few times. A true crowd favorite. Wait, what's this? Zeus has disappeared too! What is even going on here? Wait, son of Vulcan's music hits! He's coming out now, heading towards Jupiter before... Wait... He controls the lightning? He's gone! A startling and confusing development with the coward known as Son of Vulcan! Join us next week, folks, as we see this through on the War Zone! Oh, readers, it's been a while, but I hope you enjoyed the War Zone. Yep. It, there hasn't been this many single... single little fights going on at once to make a little wrestling show out of so we decided to do it again this was a beautiful beautiful wrestling show now i'm left with the decision of do i in editing try and come up with these people's entrance music oh boy (laughs) so many copyright violations yeah i don't know if i could argue fair use on that (laughs) we're pretty non-commercial we're anti-commercial yeah (laughs) oh boy um so in the summary, I kind of indicate that a lot of the stuff in issue two is they fight the god, then the gods leave. Yeah, quote, leave? leave, disappear. We don't really know where they're going. But it seems to coincide with that ritual where once they, once Geoforce, which I guess a lot of people don't like Geoforce. I'm only aware of him through this in Crisis. He's got Earth powers. But since he's connected to the Earth, Wonder Woman. He's also Woman, a prince. He is a prince. Of Markovia. That's a that's a real country. Sure. <laughs> he and Wonder Woman do this ritual, which ends up once Cersei screws up because Kazlek stole her stuff, which like reinforces the Earth. Mm-hmm. with a temporary shield. That kind of coincides with all the gods leaving. Mm-hmm. So it's not just necessarily the heroes beating them. It's kind of some super deus ex machina. Right, right. I mean, last time we saw a bunch of villains disappearing, it's because they were being... The last crossover, we saw a bunch of villains disappearing. It's because they were all being summoned for nefarious purposes right but in this they're being de-summoned because the nefarious purposes have been interrupted or they're are slightly they be- like are they becoming the, the shield are they feeding gaia i don't know i guess we'll find we'll out find out readers <laughs> i know you're gonna be on the edge of your seats so what were your favorite god appearances because there were so many I feel like the Egyptian gods, they were just kind of lazy. They're just like large anthropomorphic people. Not to say that that's not somewhat like what Egyptian gods are often portrayed as, but they didn't even get cool costumes. They were just big. Yeah, Phobos was pretty good with, you know, your 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 biggest fears, like with Starman. 
I, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. I felt like the whole thing with Eris, I was just like, oh my gosh, she's a... I feel like we just saw this character with a different name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a little, a little bit, I mean, I guess both of our female villains in this are just kind of power-hungry, overdriven women. <laughs> how, how does that, how does that go? You know, at least, you know, we've got, we've got a female hero. We've got our female villains. And, you know, what makes women worse than anything? Wanting power, so. Yeah, it's true. Power hungriness. I guess it, it would work just fine if they were men, too. Mm-hmm. Dark side shows up at one point in this comic. Mm-hmm. He is. That is that is true. <laughs> Dark side and crossovers for DC seems to be like, I'll just take whoever's left. <laughs> like, I feel like this is the second time this has yeah. happened. There's a lot going on down there. We should we should probably check that out. <laughs> Let them figure it out first, and then uh, I'll take what's after. Right. Uh, Lobos? I've, I've seen the, the cover of the next issue, and I'm excited that we're going to get a little bit more Lobo of Lobo is like the Deadpool of DC in the 90s. Not in that he broke the fourth wall, but that he's like, he's like a real tough guy kind of mm-hmm. character. He's real edgy, and he was everywhere. Oh. Yes. Kind of like in an oversaturated, people didn't enjoy yeah, it kind of way. Well, I don't know about that, but I think he's a somewhat polarizing figure in mm. a way that maybe even Deadpool isn't. Uh, he sometimes calls himself the main man, which I kind of enjoy. Oh, mm-hmm. see, he's I, just like a. He's I like just a haven't biker. read enough from the era, I guess, to have a strong opinion either way. But he did intrigue me in this. He seemed he seemed fun drinking his, as he called it, fizz water. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe I should give you a lot. There, there, are, there are covers where Lobo is like somewhat scantily clad, like with stuff barely covering like his crotch. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of wild stuff with Lobo, but he's like a he's like a space biker. I don't I don't That's know a ton about him. Kind of like a Beetlejuice vibe he gave <laughs> me. Space Beetlejuice. If you say Lobo three times, he'll show up and guest on this podcast. Of readers. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh, gotta have somebody come on to voice Lobo. To voice us. Lobo. The main man. <laughs> so good. I just imagine him sounding like Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Oh, you're gonna be drinking that fizz water here. <laughs> a little boy just showed up. It's Captain Marvel. <laughs> Oh, I feel like my laugh doesn't doesn't fully convey how much I appreciate that voice. You just you do it so often for me, readers. I hope you're laughing much more heartily than I am. Much more like I did the very first time I heard Chris's impersonation here. I'm gonna have no voice by the end of this podcast. <laughs> oh. mm. An interesting bit that maybe you can shed some light on, uh. During Cersei's spell, she experiences an empathic connection with Wonder Woman that seems like it's something that was discussed uh, prior to the issue. Like, Cersei's somewhat connected to Wonder Woman. I don't know. But it's not, like, really voluntary on Wonder Woman's part. They're just tied together somehow. 
I don't know. Maybe one of our lovely readers will tell us prior to the right. next episode, but I honestly don't know. I'd have to look it up. I wonder if that's something that was established in the 40 previous issues of Wonder Woman that we were supposed to have read before of, reading. This of all the research event. I did for this, looking up Cersei, like, just somehow slipped my mind. I'm like, oh, she's evil. She is a follower of um, Hecate, the, or Hecate, the goddess of magic. Oh, I thought it was Hectate. I think it's just Hecate. Oh. Problems it's, not of... like, it's not like Pectate. You know, the first time I was introduced to Cersei was actually in our son's book. Yes. Be a Star Wonder Woman. Be a Star Wonder Woman. Cersei shows up with her, her dragons. Mm-hmm. She definitely looks a, a little bit less evil sexy than in this comic. I would be concerned if Cersei looked evil sexy in our toddler's picture book. <laughs> <laughs> Readers with kids, I strongly recommend Be a Star Wonder Woman. Oh, Be a Star Wonder Woman is fantastic. We'll, we'll need to see if we can maybe get Elder Chrysalid on to describe what Wonder Woman is. Oh, yeah. We did have a re- request for the, the Chrysalids to be on, but yeah. We... yeah. One of them doesn't really talk yet. <laughs> He'd certainly give you some sweet, sweet babbles. Yep. But the other one has some Wonder Woman opinions. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before we get to the sum, or before we get to our accolades, the last thing I wanted to say: after seeing and experiencing the the Norse gods through the lens of of Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. these Norse gods look like garbage bins. <laughs> they are like the bar. They're like the Kmart version of the Norse gods. Loki looks like a Thundercat. Yeah, and Thor's just like a guy with a beard. <laughs> One point, Loki's coloring's really weird. Like he's got like tights or something on, and they—they're kind of a purpley color. And at one point, his face matches his tights. <laughs> he's like—he's like Hulk Hogan. He looks like a hot dog. <laughs> anyway, it's just—it's interesting to see like what got design coverage and what didn't, like. There's Cersei, a, the typo Roman... typo in this lettering. Yeah, that's true. Cersei, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Amazons, all seem to have gotten these really cool thoughts for on their design. I think that Ares looks awesome. He's yes. very scary. Uh-huh. Ares also looks pretty cool. Yep. Loki and Thor, they were definitely like, just put like a shirt on him. <laughs> Give Loki, you know... Maybe give Loki sight beyond sight. Maybe he's about to look through the Sword of Omens and say thunder. <laughs> thunder. Because <laughs> he definitely just looks like a thundercat. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for accolades? We are ready for accolades. All right, Chris, what is your best line? So my best line comes from Lobo, who is hanging out in the space bar with his buddy Telepath. And he says, drink yes. I'm sorry. He's Macho Man. Let Mm -hmm. me do this. Drink your space toad. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Delightful. Delightful. Mm -hmm. My best line comes from Aquaman. And. uh, Okay. uh Uh-huh. Arthur Curry. Yes. King of Atlantis. Yes. All right. 
So uh, it's when he is uh, fighting Tiamat. Yep. And a big dragon, not the five-headed one from D and D. No, no. Uh, and Poseidon kind of shows up and is like, "Arthur Curry, I I hear you call. The battle is too great. Cannot respond." So he basically like gets Poseidon's voicemail. <laughs> he sure does. Uh, but that's not even my best line. My best line is his response. He's like, "Then don't, Poseidon. I wasn't talking to you. You guys have caused enough trouble." He's like, sorry, Poseidon, it was a butt dial. I was really talking to the fish. <laughs> sorry, I need the delicious the delicious creatures within. Oh, boy. Oh. All right. What about your greatest hero? Uh, my greatest hero for this one is going to be the son of Vulcan. Oh, okay. Because he seems to absolutely have his stuff together. Yeah, like he comes in. He's not like corrupted I'm... by Cersei's spell. Nope. He's like, I gotta come in. I gotta stop these guys. I have a plan. He just always seems very capable, and he like definitely has an aim. Where a lot of the heroes in this seem to be completely aimless. Like Wonder Woman, somewhat included. Like the spell happens, and they're like, "Get out of Olympus!" So she's like, "I gotta go." Hang out with the detective for a little while to find a cup. Uh, It's just, and you know, maybe Wonder Woman's just thinking about what would end the conflict the quickest, but I'm just like, what? Where are you going? Um, I also liked that it's the son of Vulcan and Mars, like the god Mars, were virtually indistinguishable. And I wish they they were wearing the same outfit. I wish they would have maybe tried a little harder (laughs) on that one. Well, uh, this may be cheating, but the greatest hero so far of this crossover for me is is you, one Chris Edelman, what? for getting me through it in a sane fashion. Oh, you're very sweet to me. If I have to give it to somebody, I guess I give it to Wonder Woman because, I don't know, she's our main character <laughs> hero doing her the thing. The readers are going to be like, it doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Much love, Christy. Uh, um, wh- what is your coolest moment? Uh, my coolest moment, I really like when Cersei's second spell goes wrong. And I like that kind of the, the way that connection between Wonder Woman and Cersei is shown. Like you see the side by side panels of their two different sets of eyes and then two panels next to each other where it's half of Wonder Woman's face on one side and half of Cersei's face. Yeah, that's and some real the, Perez stuff. Mm-hmm, with like very similar expressions, but the only difference being like the eyebrow arch. Oh, yeah. Cer- Cersei has that has an evil, sexy eyebrow. Yes. 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 So I just thought that was that was kind of a, a cool cool moment. That is. What about cool your moment. coolest moment? Mine is the beginning of issue two, where we get a big the big first splash, where it's like the axe and the sword. Oh. That's between I believe Hercules and the son of Vulcan. Mm-hmm. It just looked really Kirby esque to me, and I was like, "Yeah, is that what I wanted it to be?" I give me swords. And I just thought that was just a really cool, like, big clash at the beginning. Man, I thought you were going to go for that two-page spread. It was a good two-page spread. I thought about it, too. Yeah. But, yeah, that that was a cool moment, too. The whole, oh, Wonder Woman, sorry, forgot you couldn't comprehend our god world. Let's, let's, uh, let's adjust it for you. Humble brass. <laughs> 
What about your silly villainy? My silly villainy is when the Roman gods show up and it's like, roll call. And it's like, I'm Jupiter. Lord. I do. Thunderbolts. (laughs) But then they also like, they're all wearing cloaks and... Jupiter is like Vulcan, like, hand me a thunderbolt. And he removes all their cloaks by throwing thunderbolts down and their cloaks blow up. I'm like, that's the most extra thing. They specifically make a point of they blow their their clothes off with the thunderbolts. Uh, Well, my silly villainy uh, I give to Cersei uh, for her second spell going wrong because... She was a silly villain who couldn't follow the rule of measure twice, cut once. Check your relics before you cast your spells, Cersei. All right, I have 13 relics. All right, I have 13 relics. All right, I have 10. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She didn't, have any, she didn't have any guards. I guess the, I think the guards, I think Pythia had kind of like killed a ton of them. <laughs> but yeah, Kaz like, she's kind of like, he like swipers comes in. She didn't have anybody posted just to say, Kazlak, no, no. She does not have Dora the Explorer. (laughs) Yeah, that was was a very, like, you done goofed sort of situation. Right. Like, of all of the setup and planning, for that to be the thing that goes wrong wrong is just, it's a little much. It is a little much. Maybe she's just a bit too haughty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, she always gets these very, like, stance sort of poses that are very haughty, so I think that you're probably right. Yeah. She kills someone at the beginning of the comic because they wanted Cersei to make sure they all spoke the same language. Yeah. She's like, no, I like it when you don't understand each other. I'm a jerk. Well, readers, that's going to be it for our episode. We very much apologize for it being the week late, but we will try to catch up probably sometime in the summer. Yeah, yeah. It was it was either put it out on time and you just having like a very very weepy cross Christy and probably no awesome war zone. That's true. Uh, I had a little bit of extra time to write so that. So, hopefully we get out hopefully you are you are happy with the quality of this episode and the time is worth it. Yes. And we really appreciate your patience and thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us reviews on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, we really appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get seen, and we will read them out on the show. We also have a Kofi www.ko-fi.com slash Chris's on Infinite Earths, where you can donate to the pod in increments of $3. Um, we do not make any money off of this podcast, and we really appreciate any donations you want to give. All right, so thank you, readers, and until next time... Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.